It's been two years since your favourite SAS festival has taken place at the RDS in Dublin. But guess what? We won't make it three years. That's right, SASDAQ 2022 is on. And what's even better is that we've opened up our friends and family pre-sale today with a limited batch of the cheapest available tickets. Grab them whilst they last by visiting sasdoccom forward slash sasdoc 2022 Imagine that you could get access to the revenues you'll be generating in the next 12 months already today. What would it mean for you? Capchase helps fast-growing recurring revenue companies finance growth without taking on debt or dilution. Whether you want to invest in growth or R&D, Capchase turns your predictable revenue into growth capital today. Capchase has helped founders unlock hundreds of millions in financing to fuel their growth and on average extend their runway by eight months and spared upwards of 16% dilution. See how insanely easy it is by clicking the link in the show notes or go to capchase.com forward slash sasdoc to learn more. I think it's all about figuring out what things you need to prove in order to be able to raise capital so that you can then bring on the resources and the team you want to do to really execute at the scale and, and level and pace that you want to. And so a lot of that is figuring out how to prove those things out so people believe believe that you can build a big business, um, which is you know the trickiest part at Precede. Hey everyone, welcome back to the SaaS Revolution Show brought to you by SaaStock, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth and scale. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show, uh, Michael Cardamone, uh, who is um, a founder and CEO of Forum Ventures. Welcome, Michael. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Great to great to have you on the on the podcast. We were just before we were recording, uh, talking about how I think we first connected probably like 2018. I, I, I was in New York and I think you live upstate New York, Connecticut, right? Um, we were trying to sink for coffee. We, we we couldn't make it that time, but um, uh, but now we're we're speaking on the podcast uh, for the first time uh, uh, virtually, which is uh, you know which is good. Um, yeah, you're still based uh, upstate New York. Yeah, in Connecticut. So yeah, I spent nine years in San Francisco, but um, I'm from upstate New York. My wife's from Connecticut. When the when the kids started coming, we decided to move out to the burbs and ended up in in Fairfield County, which is right outside of New York. So I'm in the city right now, but um, but yeah, live out in Connecticut. Uh, am I right? Did I see that you just had another one recently? I did. We just had our fourth, which is. Uh, our house that we have a six, four, two, and newborn in our house, so it's a bit of a whirlwind right now. Yeah. I, 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 Drinking a lot of coffee these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can, I can believe it. I've, I've got two girls, a uh, five-year-old and a six-year-old, and kind of often, you know, we thought, do we go for number three or not? And I, mo- more, most of the time, we're le- leaning on the not side, but you, you know, every now and then, there's like, uh, shall we? And, but yeah. uh, yeah, when I hear about uh, people like yourself, four children, and there's you know many people I know with five, it's like you know pretty impressive. Um, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but maybe it gets easier the more you have. I, I don't know. I, I don't. Know. I think 
two to three didn't feel like a huge incremental jump. Three to four has felt like a lot, to be honest. Hopefully the coffee is good and um, you do get, you are getting, you know, some sleep and, and also your wife uh, as well. But uh, yeah. Congrats, uh, um, so tell us a little bit, we, we've learned a little bit about where you're from, that you've got four kids, uh, but what, what more, uh, you know, can we learn about you, you know, uh, I guess kind of as a person, you know, who is Michael Cardamone? Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I grew up in upstate New York. Uh, my grandfather and my dad were entrepreneurs, so kind of grew up in a very entrepreneurial family. Um, and in, in 2008, uh, got fixated on the idea of moving to San Francisco and getting into tech because I felt like that was an opportunity to get into into businesses that could that could scale. My dad had run a small business, and I, I was enamored with the idea of the ability to impact a lot more people and scale a business a lot a lot larger. And felt like tech was the place to do that. Um, basically, just got lucky and ended up at Box when it was like 25 people. Spent some time there. Went to another startup in the ed tech space that we grew to like 24 million in revenue. Um, and then in 2014, uh, again, kind of got obsessed with the idea of getting into venture. Um, I started interviewing with some venture funds and it, you know, it wasn't really working out. I realized, you know, it was kind of a dime a dozen to being like an early, you know, I thought, I, I thought that was going to be unique going into interviews, but it was, you know, a lot of people going into interview with venture funds worked at high growth venture back companies. Like it wasn't unique and I hadn't done anything to differentiate myself. Um, but I also am just like intensely competitive. I grew up with an identical twin and so got it in my head that I wanted to, you know, prove to everyone that I could just do it. And so wanted to start my own fund, knew that I you know, wasn't going to be able to raise a lot of money, um, and felt like the accelerator model was a good way, a, a great strategy to deploy a small amount of capital, but also a way for me to be able to do investing and, um, and be like very hands-on operationally, which I really enjoyed. Um, so quit quit my job in twenty late twenty thirteen twenty thirteen I think it was um, to start uh, what was then called Accelerprise. We recently rebranded to Forum Ventures, which we can get into. Um, but yeah, that was the that background. Did consu some consulting work to pay the bills while I was fundraising. When I got to a million dollars, did a first close and kind of launched publicly just to hold myself accountable and force myself to keep keep going and build momentum and. Uh, ultimately was able to raise, um, I think we ended up with like 3.6 million for the first fund and have been able to grow it pretty significantly since then. Thanks for sharing that. So it seems by starting what was Accelerprise, then you, you had this uh, opportunity to really kind of help, you, you know, uh, a lot of people, a lot of founders, you know, kind of like with their businesses, you know, seems like quite mission driven. Um, you know, how, how has that been, you know, that experience, I guess, if you've been doing it for, what is that like? I don't know, seven, eight, nine years or something like that. Yes, yeah, a little over seven years now. Um, yeah, it's been amazing. I mean, one of the things that I, 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 when I sat down and thought to myself, like, what do I want to do for the rest of my career, and what do I want at the end of my career to look back on and say that was a successful career? And one of the big driving motivations for me was I wanted to be able to feel like I had a big impact on a lot of people, and so the accelerator allows you to do that, um, you know, if you do it well and execute well, obviously. Uh, and so from the very beginning, I've been like maniacally focused on tracking like MPS of the founders going through the program and just getting feedback and iterating and continue to improve to make sure we are actually driving significant value and having an impact. And yeah, it's something, uh, you know, we've done a, a good job of, we're always looking to improve, but, but pretty proud of what we've done. And I think 
Um, you know, now we're investing in 60 to 75 companies a year. So, uh, you know, can continue to increase the, the number of companies that we can hopefully have a, have a meaningful impact on. You mentioned the rebrand, uh, you know, and I, I saw that, I saw the announcement. Why rebrand from Accelerprise to uh, what is, it's Forum Ventures, right? Not Forum VC. Yep. Yeah, Forum Ventures. So, yeah, it's, um, uh, it was a number of things. So, Accelerprise, when I first started this, existed in DC. They were one of the few kind of B2B SaaS focused accelerators that existed. I reached out to them to kind of learn, learn from them because I was thinking of launching something similar in San Francisco. Uh, and they, had, they were running a part time, they weren't going to raise a second fund. I ended up licensing the brand. One of their partners invested in the first fund and they were acted as kind of advisor and helpful, but it was a separate business, separate GPs, separate LPs in San Francisco. But but it wasn't our original brand. It was their original brand. Um, so that was that was part of it. Part of it was, you know, we were I felt like Excel Price was, you know, sometimes tricky to spell, tricky to say for people. So from that standpoint, we just wanted something that was simpler. But the biggest reason was just the shift in kind of what we were building. So Accelerprise, I felt like we built a good brand around specifically the accelerator. And we were we've kind of evolved the business beyond just the accelerator. So the accelerator is still a core part of what we do. We're on our fourth accelerator fund. You know, we've worked with probably over 200 companies now that have gone to raise like, I don't know, close to 400 million and fallen funding and counting pretty quickly. But uh, about a year ago, we also added a seed fund as well, um, which allows us to kind of support and invest in companies at that, you know, just that next stage beyond pre-seed in a more meaningful way. Um, we, we've got a community of like corporates and buyers and decision makers that we're building uh, as part of our business. We've got this huge community of founders, obviously, and mentors. And so we're, we're now kind of shifting to be this kind of all-in-one platform to support founders, what we call from zero to sustainable, which is like what we think about as like from idea stage to, you know, self-sustaining or series A. Um, and so as we thought about that evolution, we wanted something that was more encompassing of that full kind of platform vision versus just being the accelerator and known as an accelerator, which we felt like Accelerprise was very tied to. I love that from zero to uh, sustainable. And, and I guess kind of really that's what we want to have, like the focus of the, you know, the, the meat of this kind of podcast and the conversation in terms of, you know, you, you work with a huge amount, you know, uh, of pre-seed, uh, you know, and seed stage uh, companies, founders, um, and just trying to, you know, uh, I guess kind of pick some of your insights and lessons in what uh, they should be doing, you know, uh, right and what they should be, you know, be aware of and, you know, the challenges and perhaps how to overcome some of those. So happy to dive into that. Yeah, that'd be great. So I'll look at it from the lens of assuming you're planning to fundraise, Um you know, most of the companies we work with obviously aspire to fundraise. I, I've been an advisor of some companies that have bootstrapped to pretty significant scale, which is obviously a different path, and you have to think about things a little bit differently. But uh, I'll, I'll, I'll look at this from I'll answer this from the lens of a pre-seed company that is aspiring to raise capital and have you know kind of accelerate growth and build you know a really big venture scale quote unquote business. Um, so yeah, I think there's there's a number of things. One is if you're looking at it from a, uh, the perspective of how do you how do you raise capital and you're not like let's say you're not again assume you're not like coming out of as an early employee of Stripe and have money people throwing money at you because in this market like that's kind of what's happening if you have a certain set of profile um, but assuming you're not that 
you know, I think you really need to focus on like, what are the things people need to believe for your business to get really big? And then what can you prove it with limited resources in a short amount of time to help people get comfortable around believing those things? And so that can mean a lot of things for a lot of different companies. Um, but it might be, you know, if, if, if you think investors are going to be worried about like product execution risks, do you have someone on your team or can you recruit someone or bring in a co-founder that has the technical chops or product chops that are relevant where people will then believe they will be able to execute on building the product, you know, depending on how challenging that will be. If it's, if it's go to market risk, like what proof points can you get that there's pull from the market that customers want it? Even if you haven't gotten actual traction yet, like, can you prove that customers want this, are willing to pay for it, what they're willing to pay? Why do they want it? Like how much customer discovery have you done? Um, all of those sort of things. And then, and then I think, around market dynamics, like you need to have a lot of conviction and clarity around uh, how you think your market's going to evolve, why it's going to evolve that way, and then how you win in that evolving market. And again, the more proof points you can show, which you know is hard as a, as a pre-seed company, but it might be you know a screenshot of an email from a customer talking about like how they don't like the incumbent technology stack they're using, or you know it might be uh, you know, maybe you want a deal and understanding like why you won that deal over a competitor and, and why you can consistently continue to do that. So I think it's all about figuring out what things you need to prove in order to be able to raise capital so that you can then bring on the resources and the team you want to do to really execute at the scale and, and level and pace that you want to. Um, and so a lot of that is, yeah, just figuring out how to, how to prove those things out so people believe believe that you can build a big business, um, which is, which is, you know, the trickiest part at Precede. We recently, uh, and this might be the podcast that, that you listen to, but we, we had a, a founder on that raised the Precede round with just a prototype on, uh, on Figma. Uh, she actually spoke last night at, um, at Sassot Local London. Uh, it was a, a Daria from sales room. Uh, yeah. is, that, is this, something that you've seen kind of like more of and so you're not necessarily having to have built the mvp already but it, it's just like here is a prototype and you know the, here's the idea and we're going to build this or you know is that is that a kind of exception and not the not the norm it it certainly happens a lot um i i would say it's like 50 50 i think it really depends on the founders backgrounds and the market dynamics um if you're in a, which I was surprised, actually, that was the podcast I listened to. I would say sales tech is a perceived to be crowded market. Um, I don't know a lot about what they're doing or their product. Um, uh, it sounded like they had a lot of good um, backgrounds as founders, which I think is always helpful. But then it all comes down to like how much momentum can you build? And it sounded like she had a lot of momentum with the people she had involved, both from the fund side, but also... Uh, on the customer side. So um, yeah, I mean, so some companies do, I think when it, what it comes down to is like the, if you're in a perceived crowded market, it's hard to, it's much harder to raise pre product, pre revenue, um, unless you have an exceptional founder with, with like a notable background, or you have a lot of proof points in the market that you have an indication that there's a clear line of sight to revenue once the product is ready. And it's not an overly technical product, so there's not a lot of product execution risk. So really, then they're ex they're underwriting like that that you know they'll be able to kind of execute on building that product and then and then get it in the hands of people which they've already kind of proven are willing to pay for it. Um, 
if it's in a less crowded market uh, or there's like extreme kind of market tailwinds behind it, then I think it's in this market today, it's becoming easier to raise pre-product and pre-revenue uh, for some found for some profile of founders. If you're David, it's Cantor. all about building momentum, though. Yeah, if you if you if you if you're David Cancel, and I think he probably did did this like leaving HubSpot, you got an idea for Drift, fifteen million Series A without you know really a, a product being built yet. But yeah, really- that's the exception though. Like that, you that's like what you hear about all the time in like TechCrunch, and it's like maddening for founders, but. You know, there there aren't that many of those types of founders where there's yeah. like a very clear, like, oh, this person built X at this company and now they're going to leave and build Y, which is very similar to X. Yeah. And then they just, yeah, they have term sheets being thrown at them at ridiculous valuations these days, right out of the gate with nothing. That happens if you're, if you have that sort of uh, background of execution. But um, yeah, that... It, that's tough because founders read that and they get frustrated, but it's not, it's more the exception than the rule, in my opinion. What, what's, um, or is there like a number one reason that you say no to investing at the pre seed stage? Um, yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. So it's usually a couple of things. So it's usually either market dynamics where we feel like it's a crowded market with a lot of companies fighting over a similar budget, even if they're not all approaching it with the same type of solution. Uh, And we haven't seen enough indications that this will be differentiated enough or that they will be able to have enough resources to rise above the noise in that that crowded market. Um, So that's part of it. Part of it is we'll look at like, you know, is it the right founder market fit? Like, does that founder have some unique insight or skill set or connections that will enable them to like, get through that grind of like getting the early customers and kind of uh, building credibility and recruiting people to the team and all that kind of stuff. So, so that's another one. Um, and that's a broader statement around just like the founder, like we need to jive with the founder. We need to like be inspired by them, feel like they're going to be able to recruit people, you know, really good people around them. Um, and so, you know, sometimes that's just, we just, that's just not the case. And then the other is just, do we believe there eventually could be a scalable and repeatable go-to-market strategy here and so a lot of times we'll look at things and you know maybe they're selling into like mid-market and the acbs are really low and we just don't see a that how they're gonna a clear line of sight to how they can grow acbs over time and b or how they can get sales cycles down in which case then like if you have like a 10 to 20k acb and you're selling into a mid-market or enterprise with long sales cycles like that's just a really hard go-to-market motion to make work um so you might be able to get some early customers and some early traction, but we just we just find it find it hard to believe that that can scale even if you can raise a lot of capital in a in an efficient enough way. So that's another another thing we'll kind of look out for as well, even at the pre-seed stage before they really have a go-to-market motion. Moving on to seed stage, uh, founders as they're then looking to raise their seed rounds you know, what are the things that they need to be kind of be thinking of, you know, what are the challenges and, and, you know, any advice to kind of overcome those? I I mean, it's a lot of the similar dynamics as pre-seed and seed. It's, um, you know, it's again, like, what do you need to prove for people to believe that you can build a big company? And and if you look at that, like maybe that shifts a little bit at seed, but it's very similar to pre-seed. It's, you know, do you have customers who love the product? 
Uh, are they paying enough relative to what the sales cycle was? Uh, are the market dynamics such that like it, you know a winner can be created? And do you understand why why you can win in that market and how it's evolving? And can you explain that with a lot of conviction and clarity uh, to investors? Um, so I think it's a it's a it's a lot of that. You might have you know if you did raise a pre seed round and you have some resources, they might be looking at like were you able to recruit like one key hire to show that you can recruit really great people around you because um, that's a big thing investors will look for. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of, it's a lot of that kind of stuff of just, you know, in general, like I look at fundraising is all about how do you build momentum? There's a lot of ways to build momentum. Traction is obviously a great one and revenue growth, but there's a lot of other ways like pipeline growth, you know, customers who rave about you, key hire, key advisors that builds kind of credibility around what you're doing. Um, you know, PR, just buzz, like the sense of constant and relentless progress, which, you know, a lot of founders can do. Like we have one founder who he sends a weekly update and like every week, it seems like a ton is getting done and he's making a ton of progress. He's had like 50 conversations with potential customers and pipeline is growing. Like there's that sense of this like relentless progress that can build momentum um, for investors and make it feel like you're really executing well. Uh, so I think from a founder's perspective, it's all about building momentum and then having the substance to prove to investors that you have the data points they'll want to see in order to believe that you can build a big company or at least believe that you can get to that next round of funding or or the next milestones you want to get to off of that race. Uh, I, th I think you mentioned earlier that um, you've invested in like over 90 SaaS companies, right, or, or, or startups? I think we're, yeah, I think we're at like 250 companies now um, that we've invested in. And then I've done probably 10 or 11 angel investments. And then I also spent a year as like a venture partner with Saster. So yeah, I've, I've had a lot of data points to learn from and certainly uh, have made a lot of mistakes along the way as well. With, with, with that, uh, I'm assuming like you don't personally get 250 uh, investor or updates from the from the founders like each month that you have to kind of read and then provide any you know advice to or so we have founders send updates to a, an email called updates at formvc.com and and then that uh that goes to our whole team so everyone can kind of see all of the updates not every company sends updates some send it once a month some once a quarter some once a week <laughs> you know it just depends on the company some don't send them at all uh, but, but yeah, and then anyone on the team can jump in. We're a team of, I think 11 or 12 now. Um, so, uh, anyone on the team can kind of jump in if there's like specific asks. So it's not all, you know, I'm not the bottleneck on, on everything for sure. Like we've got a, we've got a big team to support companies now. What is the pre preference? I mean, is it like, <clears throat> are you happy with weekly updates? Is that too much? You, you know, should it be at least monthly? What is the, the kind of recommendation to founders? Uh, yeah, my I mean I think weekly is helpful as you're gearing up to fundraise because I think it's a good way to keep people informed that it maybe are in the pipeline or that you're having conversations with on the fundraising side again to kind of build that momentum. I think it's overkill post raising around like I don't think you need to send weekly updates. I think monthly is the right cadence, um although quarterly is okay. Um but I think getting in the habit of sending an update monthly helps the founder think about their business, the, the, what's working, what's not working, what are the key asks that you have so you can actually leverage your investors. Because it's tough as an investor if you don't get an update for a year and then all of a sudden you hear from a founder and they want 
they want you to help with something and you don't even have context on like how the business is doing or what's happening in the business or, you know, what's working, what's not working. So um, I think if you want to get the most out of your network and your investors, I think sending a monthly, a, a thoughtful month, monthly update is the right way to go. So given your experience across all these investments and, and time in, in VC, uh, what is uh, either the best piece of advice or sort of lessons learned, um, you know, since you've been within the industry? For founders, this is a somewhat biased answer in that, you know, we have this big community of founders. I think you have, you're building a big community of SaaS founders. So building a company can be really frustrating. There's going to be ups and downs. It's a long journey. It's a grind. You're going to get a lot of no's. Like it's just mentally challenging. Uh, And I think surrounding yourself with other peers, whether it's through something formal, like what you're building or what we're building or informally just getting peers around you. I think it's like incredibly helpful and impactful for founders to have other people who are going through a similar thing at a similar stage to bounce ideas off of, to commiserate with when they get a no, to like, you know, um, just think through like strategic things, get answers, share network. Like, I just think it's, we've, we've seen so much serendipitous things happen through our community of founders connecting with each other um, that I, I'm just convinced it's like such a good value add for founders, uh, especially as like, you know, it becomes mentally challenging to kind of go through this journey as a founder. So, so that's one piece of advice that I would give to founders is just find your, find your try, like find your people that you can lean on and share with and everything so that you're not going, going at it alone. Cause it can be a lonely journey as a CEO and founder. Um, so that's one lessons learned for myself. I, you know, I think there's, there's, there's just so many, um, you know, there's some of the obvious ones of like, there's been times where we made investments where we really liked the market, but we weren't sure on the founder. And like, you know, in a lot of cases, those, those haven't worked. Um, and so I think a lot of it is like, you know, investing in great people. And, and that's a frustrating term to use because it's so ambiguous and like what great is, is, is different for every, everyone. Um, but I think for us, it's like finding founders who, um, you know, have, like I said before, like can, can speak with like clarity and conviction around what they're building, how their market's evolving, why they're going to win in that market. And like truly, like really, really understanding that founders who are obsessed with their business. So that doesn't mean like they're working 24 seven, like that's not mentally sustainable, but, but it means they're thinking about their business all the time. Like you can tell when a founder is obsessing about, you know, they'll, they'll know off the top of their head who like the biggest co- potential customers in the pipeline, or they'll know, you know, how much revenue they're getting from their biggest customers. Like they know these things off the top of the head because they're obsessing about it. Whereas founders who don't know those things, you can kind of tell like this, you know, maybe they're not, their heart's not in it as much. Um, and so, and then obviously like big ambition, big vision, like want to build a big company, uh, all those things. And so, and ability to recruit great people. Um, so those are all the things we look for in the founder. And I think the other thing that's tricky is, you know, we run the accelerator and then we do follow on investments, uh, out of the, our seed fund now. And so, you know, in the past, I think, uh, we used to do some follow on investments out of the accelerator and. I'm sure in like the very early days, I made some mistakes around, you know, I build genuine relationships with the founders. And then was I making, especially when it was just me, was I making follow on investment decisions based on like who I had the closest relationship with versus the underlying business? 
And so we've now, with a bigger team, we can obviously create a lot more kind of system and process and structure around how we make those decisions so that it's less relationship driven, you know, or not relationship driven at all, and more around just evaluating the actual underlying investment opportunity. What um, final couple of questions? What book are you currently reading? uh, And or what is your favorite business book uh, of all time? So, so I I have zero time to read right now. I basically work and and hang with the four kids and try to keep up with that. Uh, so I don't. I'm not reading a book currently. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so many good books I've read over time. Like I think one that came up recently that I that I enjoyed was was Trillion Dollar Coach, which was Bill Campbell, who's been an executive coach for a lot of a lot of people. But um, yeah, I mean, even like old school ones around like how to win friends and influence people, I thought was like impactful back in the day. Um, I think there's been a lot of, uh, I don't know, there's been, a, I, I've read a lot of business books along the way, but those are some that come top of mind. From uh, from zero to sustainable hasn't been written written yet, right? No, it hasn't. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, if, if you find the time running the fund and uh, looking after the kids, then uh, maybe that's uh, that could be one for the future. Yeah, maybe someday. Yeah. Uh, so, Ma- Michael, where can people find you online and foreign ventures? Yeah, I'm on I'm on Twitter uh, at mg cardamone. Um, my DMs are open, um, so feel free to reach out. My email is just mike at forumbc.com. Uh, our website's forumbc.com. Um, those are probably the best places. Thanks so much, Michael Cardamone, for being a guest on the SaaS Revolution Show uh, today. It's been a pleasure to speak with you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it, Alex. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SaaS Doc conferences around the world.